This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek C. Apollo with, that's right, my partner in crime is back, John Crane from a long two-week vacation. He's been missed here. John, how you doing? I have been looking forward to breaking down every game the Angels played while I was gone. You really want to do that? Yeah, you that's really. Nah, yeah, nah, nah. I don't think you want. You know that. what? It's been a rough two weeks. My bad. When I unpacked, when I got home on Sunday, on Monday night, I noticed that I actually inadvertently packed the Angels mojo in my luggage. It was down at the bottom, underneath my socks. And uh, did you take their pitching ouch. with you too? Yeah, I don't know. It was Mojo. All I know <laughs> was, was Mojo, and I think I took it from everybody because uh, I was. They were halfway through that streak before I even found out, found out. I don't have. Uh, you always have internet on the on the ship. So, well, we're glad you're back, John. We have been missing some of that great John Crane commentary, and also your wildly cheerful voice. It's been a rough two weeks, man. Depressing. I, I like I, I like we said before I started the show. I cry on the inside, Derek. I don't cry on the out. <laughs> I got a smile. I got a smile and a laugh on the outside. It's all the crying's on the inside. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> that's why that's why I get called things like fanboy on our reviews, which I appreciate. Any review, any good review, whatever you want to call me, give me a good review. Give this show a good review, and you're good in my book. Well, let's talk about that in a little bit. I do. Yeah. We, we should, I know you want to talk about it. We should be covering that. We should be covering that just, just for giggles. Also on the show today, we have Josh Nelson from the Sox Machine. He's here to give us a preview of the Chicago White Sox. They're coming in for a series of four game set tomorrow night, all the way through the weekend. And let me tell you, there are some very interesting pitching matchups there. One pitcher you won't see them out is Dylan Peters. He had a solid outing tonight for the Angels. Angels went 7-4. to four. They salvage a game from this series of the Pirates. I have several observations. Before we do, though, before we get into this series, 
Let's go ahead and give a shout out to all those folks who have been doing the, the contest to put in reviews. We have a lot of them, and I'm pretty thrilled with some of the feedback we've been getting. John, you ready to hear some of this feedback? Sure. You want to hear some of it? All right. Yeah, I remember so, I cry on the inside. So whatever you I hear, I, you know, it's it's I'm I'm all yeah, woohoo. We, we did promise feedback. that. We did yeah. promise a little bit of that feedback here. So let's see here. Let's acknowledge some of our listeners. Grateful to have them. Very grateful. So, folks, actually, you think high enough of us that we we have a five-star review right now. So thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And just keep the feedback coming. But also, you know, anything you want us to work on, please let us know. You can email us at talkandhails.gmail.com. Okay, here's the reviews we have gotten since we started the contest. And let's begin. Back up a little bit. Well, this guy pointed out to me later. This is from... July 26th. I think this is going to be your favorite one. You ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to get a sneak peek, but go okay. ahead. Love this podcast from AngelsFan1522. Derek is a very professional host and is very logical. I enjoy he doesn't waver from his opinion, especially when with where the Angels are going in the future. John isn't a horrible co-host, <laughs> but he comes as a super fan who lets his feelings form his opinions instead of the facts. John does make this podcast flow for that reason. He's willing to admit when he's wrong, and he, even when he goes into super fan mode, it bounces well with Derek. I've been listening from when it was announced on his Rams podcast. Guys, keep it up. Keep up the good work. Your podcast will continue to grow. That's right. We do have the Rams podcast. Can't forget that one. All right. I actually read that review a while ago. I, I, I take that as complete. I, I was very flattered by that review. I like that. So uh, hey, thank you very much. I, I, I appreciate that. All right. So here we go. Talking Halos. Five stars from D Mastermind. Seven at that. Sam, if that's, if that's right. I follow three main Angels podcasts. And I personally like them all. But I will give the nod to Talking Halos for my favorite. Derek and John consistently upload and give listeners like myself chances to go on and speak as well. I also love the appreciation they show veterans on this podcast. That cannot be understated in value at all. Keep up the great work, guys. Well, we appreciate that. And that that has to be Sam. Sam, thank you, as always, for your service, buddy. Um, you, you did what so many people just have been unable to do in their lives. So thank you. Okay. One day while searching for Angels Podcast, this is from Ikari Warrior 007. About a month ago, I started searching for podcasts for the Angels. I noticed other teams had podcasts, but that we did not have a lot of the shows. I stumbled across this podcast, and I am so happy that I did. You guys are great. Keep the good work. What I like is I can tell you guys are passionate about the Halos. We need more shows like yours. Uh, this next one is from Jen from Jen News. I just, want to, I just want to comment on that one. Funny thing, that's how this podcast started. Derek reached out to me and said, "There ain't a lot of podcasts out about Rangels. I think there's a, I think there's an opening for one." So uh, that's exactly how this podcast started. And the interesting thing is, is when you were gone, we did that crossover with all angels. So this review is funny because I think this person got a little mixed up. But you know what? That's great because it was a good episode. She says, "Inside Baseball." A great podcast that presents angel player profiles, pregame, postgame analysis, and interesting interviews. Must listen. Derek and Dan are awesome. Love the funny moments, too. She must have been referring to when Dan Garcia from All Angels was on the show. (laughs) We did that crossover. He didn't mention that I'm not horrible? No, 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 no. Let's see. Gosh darn it. (laughs) Okay, here we go. This is from... This is a closer look by J underscore Gibbs 7. I... 
I've only started listening to Talking Halos for a couple weeks now. After engaging with them on Twitter, we talked about potential angel signings this offseason and about the front office. That's when I learned about their podcast and started chiming into them. I've been looking for more Angels podcasts as I was only listening to Taylor Blake Ward's podcast for a while, and I love listening to Talking Halos. It gives more of a closer look at things with talking to former players and giving scoops of previous series and upcoming series. It's a great listen all around, and I would definitely recommend if you're a diehard Halo fan. Well, thank you. That's a very nice one. Well, they're all very nice. These are all very nice. I'm very flattered. This is for a guy who never knew nothing about anything but listening to podcasts uh, what four months ago um to even be you know uh, uh, on a show that's getting five stars whether it's uh, uh, it, you know directly you're losing yourself directly man. related to me <laughs> pardon yeah no i'm you're just saying I, I like these these i'm flattered i'm flattered by these things by okay these i mean it's they're very nice uh angels fan two halos five stars not easy being associated with the angels nowadays well that's the truth but it definitely feels good hearing a factual perspective rather than the usual they're just trash argument. Kudos to you guys, and please make this a long-time thing. Really need to get a lot more Halo voices. Well, that's the goal. That is absolutely the goal. Uh, Brad Harstad, great podcast. Finally, an Angels podcast that gives great information and insight. Well, I think a couple of them do. But you know, I think Taylor Blake Ward does a really nice job. I think Dan does a great job over there. But... The reality is there aren't a whole lot of Angels podcasts out there. Even now, you can go to my other podcast, Ramps Talk Radio, and there are tons of podcasts just on our network alone. We have three on there right now, and there's always potential for more. That's just our network, and then you move over to other places. They have other rent. So there's compared to the Rams for the NFL, it's a big difference, big gap. Uh, Super Slugger 1, love the Angels content. Keep up the good work. I love the guests you bring on. Well, I'm thankful for the guests we've gotten, quite frankly. We've had some very nice ones. So there's the feedback that we have received that people have written. and that We told you we would read them on the air. I think if you take the time to do that, you certainly should hear a shout-out with your review. And we really appreciate your listenership. Which reminds me that we are still a young podcast. We are less than four months old. And if you do like what we're doing... Please check us out on Apple Music and subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. You guys just heard a whole bunch of the reviews that have been put in for us. We are still running the contest until Sunday for those tickets. So, hey, go on over. Do the review. If you are listening and you're enjoying the show, please do us a favor and text a fellow Angels fan and know about our podcast. The contest itself, by the way, just backing up for a second. If you leave a five-star review and send it to us via DM on Twitter or Facebook or just email to us at talkinghalos at gmail.com with a screenshot. We will know who it is and we'll enter you into the contest. The tickets are for the September 13th bobblehead game for Mike Trout. I think the Duck bobblehead. The Ducks bobblehead. Yes, yes. Anaheim, it's a crossover. Anaheim Ducks yeah. and uh, Mike the Trout. The seats are nice. The seats are nice seats. I like them. I wish I could sit Well, on. you know, a little low, a little too close to oh. the field. For, my for life, you, yeah, because you like the nosebleeds, man. You, you think yeah. <laughs> these are not nosebleed seats, folks? They're nice seats. By the way, I will be there Friday and Saturday night. Outstanding! It's throwback weekend too, so you should have a blast. Yeah. All right. So there's the word on them. That's all the logistics. Now the, the Pittsburgh series. Now, as you guys know, I live close to Pittsburgh. So I do see a lot of Pittsburgh games just because they're on TV. I can tell you that that team is nowhere near as awful as their record indicates. They just, they just had a really bad spell. Luck had it. 
pitching wasn't what it was supposed to be, but they are better than the record indicates, and they showed it in the first two games while also reminding us of how bad our pitching is. So it stinks they lost two out of three. I believe the Angels overall are more talented normally, but in this situation where there just isn't the pitching right now. And the Pirates have some hitters. It's just what it comes down to, and they knocked the cover off the ball, especially those first two games. I don't have a whole lot of analysis for that because it's just becoming the same old, same old now at this point. There isn't really anything new under the sun. It's the same thing. Bad pitching, and of late, our guys are just striking out too much. They're not, be, they're not able to create enough to stay in games. This is a team that was one, of the te- was one of the best at making contact and avoiding strikeouts for much of the year, and now you have some young guys up who are getting a lot of bats. They're facing major league pitching, facing a lot of these pitchers for the first time in their lives, and they are just into the game. And, John, what we're seeing is a lot more strikeouts, and it's also, I think, exposing some holes in the Angels' offensive game. Just getting basic, you know, all you have to do is hit a sack fly or, or hit an infield hit, and you get get somebody home standing on third. I mean, they're not executing just simple, you know, hit a fly ball, get a, get a you know, take a shot out into the field and uh, sacrifice fly, and we're not even executing simple things like that. I mean, a lot of it comes from the fact that you've seen a, a complexion change in terms of the, of the players who are getting time. They're young, so you're going to see that growth, or hopefully you'll see some growth over the course of the next month and a half. It's just not the same lineup. And because it's not the same lineup, it's also exposing they don't run much at all, period. No. We and don't steal bases. We don't. We just can't play station-to-station baseball when you're struggling, especially. You need to produce. And we have been very big here about defending Brad Austin's for the most part. Well, this needs to be improved. I mean, I would be basically an Al Smith shill if all I ever did was defend him when he's doing things that are right or things are happening that aren't his fault. The Angels are not doing things to produce runs. That's the bottom line. I agree. A lot of, yeah. But the fundamentals, you know, the thing that is going to start getting old for me is, yeah, we have, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about Twitter, I'm talking about Facebook. We have bad pitching. We have we have pitching struggles, people. It's not going to change. It's not going to get better. It, this is it. We need we need some we need some fresh pitching. We need some an infusion. Um, it's not going to happen this year. Trade deadline's gone. We got we got money. We're going to go into the off season. We're we're going to try uh, again. They're gonna hope they they better address the pitching situation in one way, shape, or form. Um, or we've already said we're you know we're going to jump on the bandwagon with these guys. Um, and and the players that are playing, Matt Thice, you know these guys are they're they're all young kids, and. And that Matt Thice is the one I think that came that came to my mind. We had somebody on base the other day, and you know all he had to do was hit a uh, you know a simple. He had to hit a grounder. He had to do whatever he did is the only thing. He he hit a, a shallow outfield, and uh, they got uh, tagged out at the plate. Um, I mean, at this point, this is just a bunch of. Uh, there should be no expectations anymore. I mean, and I know people get mad at me because I'll, I'll still be there Friday and Saturday and enjoy the game with little to no expectations. Expectations that maybe we can win Friday. Maybe we can win Saturday. But I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's we, are, we are what we are at this point. And we really got to start looking towards next year while playing out this year and uh, giving time to whoever uh, Osmus uh, deems uh Needing time. Well, yeah, pretty much. I just it's disappointing to me that 
a season that had some promise to it has kind of fallen apart. I look at this team now and think, well, I get it. I really, really get it. They went through a lot of really emotionally, mentally exhausting things. That stuff you probably won't recover from this year. I understand to a degree. And for that and because that all that stuff happened, I'm much more willing to be patient as we head into the offseason. But the things I want to see them do right are the fundamental things. They've been, I mean, how I say this, way too many errors. Way too many instances where these guys are staring off into space. You could tell that this team is really struggling mentally, defensively, at the plate, everything. Look at the air tonight with Rahifo, the other night, well, last night with, with uh, Griffin Canning. That just wasn't, you don't, just don't do that. It's a really bad idea, Griffin. <laughs> and you could see that. was that, a Keystone Cop episode, that, that whole thing. I, I, yeah, I watched it again today at work, at work on my computer just to, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. You, so wait, you're uh, you're at work, but you're not working. You're yeah, yeah, I have a computer. I have a computer, and I, I might, you know, I have downtime. I won't tell anybody. I promise. But overall, I just <laughs> I've sent ideas from the show from there. From there, so <laughs> <laughs> fundamentals overall, though, to me, those are things you could still get better. And I want to see at this point how the coaching staff gets these guys together. Because well, let me ask you this: because everybody, you, bring them together. you know, you know who did it. I listened to a I listened to a, a podcast where a guy who sounded a lot like you, uh, pretty much dedicated the whole podcast to uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Osmus and uh, you know I'm not going to say I think you did say defending you know defend and and I mean you made a lot of lot of solid points I mean not that you really need to defend him that much to me because I just see what this what a train wreck this season has been and. Uh, so I mean, I didn't. It's it's hard to. I guess. You, I guess here's my question: Do you think that if Sosha had been here this season, that this would have been dramatically different anyway? And and I'm talking maybe at this point in time right now, where things they are really kind of getting real sloppy. Do you think Sosha would have uh, had any different, you know, uh, results with that? Um. Yeah, I think he would have. And it's not because of anything more than he'd, he'd been here for 20 years. He'd earned the respect of anybody who walks in his clubhouse. He knew how to manage a team. He knew how to deal with emotions and people. And he was flawed, yes. But in that respect, I think he would have better been, been prepared to handle the situation. He's been, he was the manager when Nick Adenar passed away. He, he's already been through all these things. So... With all that in mind, yeah, I think he probably would have done a bit of a better job than Ausmus. But on the same token, that's not really a slam on Ausmus. What really bothers me with Ausmus is that people have been hammering him about pulling pitchers early. I've seen people complain that he's too stoic in the in the clubhouse or in the dugout. Well, what do you expect him to go out there and yell at people? Do you expect him to go out there and just get himself ejected every now and then? Some people like that stuff. And I guess it does fire some teams up, but if that's not who you are, it's not who you are. You have no idea how people view Brad Ausmus in the locker room, in the clubhouse. They have no idea. But I can tell you one thing. I've been watching Brad Ausmus since I was a kid. That's how long he's been in this game. And I've never heard anybody say anything negative about that man in terms of how he relates to people and how he deals with people. Never, not that, once. That was... 
that was a point you made on the, on the podcast that I was listening to. You're saying we're not. There's nothing leaking out about uh, you know uh, the word uh, the, the locker room. You know, room whispers or you know what is the word disunity? I, I I can't think of the word I'm actually trying to think of. But you know, people whispering about Osmus, complaining about Osmus. I've heard nothing about that. Um, except like you, you referenced Skaggs, and I agreed with Skaggs that day when he's you know mm-hmm. the, I was on board with that you know that he pulled him out because I I you know I, I you you know you bring me around you brought me around on the, on some of this on why we're I understand the pitch count a lot better now and why we're pulling these players at this time, but well um, I'm a big believer in treating everything but as a case by case basis. Okay, generally, right now with young kids, I tend to say, take it easy, don't push them too much until you think they're mentally ready. I've said that multiple times. But when you are the pitcher and you get a visit from Madison on the mound, he's going to look at you and he's going to decide whether or not it's time to go. Or if he's sitting in the dugout and he's watching your body language and he's seeing how the movement on your pitch is going, seeing how batters are locating your pitches, he's going to make all those calls. I have never in the course of my entire life where I've I've followed the Angels, have seen a pitching staff this bad. So if you are going to criticize Brad Ausmus for pulling a dude early, you need to actually take into consideration what's actually going on out in the field. There's something Ausmus doesn't like. Now here's something. I saw somebody in one of the Facebook groups today going after Ausmus for pulling Griffin Canning last night. And I'm just sitting there going, have you lost your bloody freaking mind? Right now... He's your best pitching prospect. He's a solid number two prospect, could develop into a number one, although I think he'll probably be a max number two. You have a couple in the lower minors who may surpass him one day, but right now he's going to be a guy you help build your pitching staff around. He missed time with elbow inflammation. They had to look at his UCL to make sure there's nothing wrong there. Makes his first start. He... Has some struggles, but gets through 80 pitches. And you're going to get mad because Ausmus didn't leave him in the game? Are you freaking nuts? You trying to wreck this dude's arm? Protect that kid. You have you, you don't have any freaking reason at all to keep him out there at this point in the year when you can watch his health. For what? You're not going to the playoffs. What are you playing for? What are you going to push him out there for? And you're going to go after Ausmus about that? That's ridiculous to me. Leave him alone. He's going to make some bad No manager in baseball, John, ever makes a perfect decision every time out. He's going to make mistakes. Mike Sosha made mistakes. People were questioning Mike Sosha till the day he left. And only now that he's been gone for almost a season. Are people like, bring back Mike Sosha. Hire him as a GM. Are you serious? You were just complaining about the guy a year ago? That's the nature of Twitter. That's the nature, nature of social media. Um yeah, you know, because you, you got, I mean, it's not like the Angels have had any issues with pi- Angels pitching injuries. <laughs> it's not like we have a, a history of that, right? Um, oh, no, so never. I mean, I, no I, one's I, ever gotten hurt. No, no. I mean, absolutely. The arm oh, injury oh, with, with pitchers. Oh, oh, 20. No, l- l- what are you saying? I said, oh, oh 20. Um, Jesus. <laughs> Heaney. Heaney's been hurt. Heaney. I mean, I mean yeah, Heaney. Everybody. I mean, we. But this is. I mean. So I mean. Yeah. I mean. I. I think we need to look at it that way. I like. I like to looking at it that way. Looking. I, I think that's going to make it easier for me the rest of this season. Just you know, whatever they pull them out. The, the thing is, is you're overworking again. Are you overworking the bullpen though? So to save the starter, which I agree, Kiffin, Griffin Canning is 
close, you know, it's definitely our future. This is one of our one of our five. However, wherever you fall him into the thing, he's going to mm-hmm. be one of our top five, one four pitchers. And I mean, we've already seen so many of our starting pitchers injured, and and uh, and I, I just I don't think people see next year. They, they I don't know what they expect out of this year at this point. At this point. Now, but criticizing Osmus is, is silly. Is silly because well, again, I've been defending him, John. I've been defending him on several things like that. But I really believe that while I will keep defending him on issues like that, please tell me, explain to me why we are not seeing aggressive base hitting. When was the last time we saw an Angels call hit and run? How often do we see him go take a bag? And when you're struggling, things like that can change your season, or at least experimentation. What you're saying is experiment. Do things that you out of your comfort zone, because what do you got to lose? What are you going to do? Lose to the Pittsburgh Pirates? Been there, did that. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, you know, uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, 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 you know, I said that before when I earlier I was basically saying, you know, start the kids, start the kids, and I, you know, you always, I always go out there. You know, ah, and you kind of grab my collar and pull me back and say, you know, you can't just burn the kid. You can't just, you know, shatter these kids' egos. And I go, oh, okay, yeah, you're I right. mean, it just depends on the kid. I mean, it depends on yeah. how mentally tough they are. And we don't interact with Jose Suarez or Jaime Berea or Griffin Canning on a daily basis to know where these kids are mentally. So that's kind of the job of people like Brad Osmond, the same people that you want to slam every single day for a decision they make when you don't really know what goes into those decisions. But isn't Brad Osmus essentially, he's an analytics guy. Analytics guys don't like doing stuff like that. There's a place for analytics in the game, and there's a place for situational hits. If you were going to be a straight analytical guy, you might not win anything. I mean, think about what I'm saying. And I'm going to make a lot of people mad when I say this. The Oakland Athletics have had Billy Bean for years. He introduces analytics. They build some solid teams up there. They win some games. They make some playoffs. When was the last time Oakland won a World Series? Bash Brothers. Their payroll's always lower. I need to be specific about that. But you know what? The Royals won a World Series. Small market team like the Royals won it. Tampa Bay's been to a couple of World Series. My point is this. Analytics alone doesn't always work. There's more to the that, game I think that analytics. was the point of Moneyball. That was the point of the movie Moneyball. Is that, uh, I mean, that was the moral of the story. It, it does work. There's a, there's a place for it. And at the ending, it proved that you know it, there was a place for it because Oakland is a, quote, small market well, team. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like you can't rely on analytics alone, though. And that's been the big thing about Oakland. That's the, that's the example everybody uses, analytics, Moneyball. And my point, well, though, what is about the analytics Red Sox, only though? carry you so far. Well, there's a difference. The Red Sox? There's, there's a difference here, okay? In Analytics with money. Well, there's, there's analytics with money, okay? But there's also a willingness to allow some instinct into how you operate. It's not always about analytics. And I think what the angels are trying to do here is they're trying to implement analytics. I think it's fine. You should. You really, you really should. Numbers matter, but you have to find a balance between the natural flow of the game and what the numbers say. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, except that I can hear Angel fans screaming right now, but Oakland has a better record than we do. (laughs) They do. And And has. It's been consistently the last few years had a better record than we do. I would say they've always reached a ceiling, and then they trade their guys away to reload their farm system. It's like clockwork with them. What I'm saying is, is if the Angels do this right and they institute an analytics system 
they have more resources than Oakland. If they can figure this thing out, there's no reason they could not be an every year contender. There's no reason for it. The question is whether or not they can figure it out. They can find that balance. I'm not trying. I think it's something I'm trash in Oakland. I'm not. I'm just saying that analytics alone won't save you. Analytics and some money will help, can, can save you. Analytics, money, and having a style of play that also gives credence to the instincts of the game, I think those factors together will make you into a, a franchise that can win. The core of it also, to me, is, is player development. You have to develop all those players. You're using all this analytics, John, and the analytics don't mean anything if you don't develop those players. But and, see, it, it has to start somewhere, and unfortunately... Yeah. We're still scratching at the bottom is of where we're starting. We're just loading up the prospects, well, and that's, the development. This and, 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 and that's not too. that's not Osmus's fault. It's not really. It's not Epler's fault. And unfortunately, well, fans are just so angry and, and impatient. And just you know, I, I don't know what you know. I, I always want to ask people when they you know like say so you know so we fire we fire Epler we fire Osmus. So who do we hire? I know everybody. Everybody wants to go Joe Madden, right? But he's he's got a job, doesn't he? He does. And you know what? There are a lot of Cubs fans who have problems with Joe Madden. I'm serious. I know. Are you, are you kidding me, Dave? Uh, Davy Roberts. Um, I mean, the guy has been to two World Series in a row, and and they just read that you know they're on his they're on his hiney every day. I mean, well, there's no there's no perfect. Manager, you're always going to find something wrong with somebody. You're always going to find something wrong, even with your favorite hitter. I've seen Trout criticized more this year than I've ever seen him criticized. I'm serious. Yeah, but well, I mean, but also, I uh, the podcast you had was that the um, that was the guy from Chicago, right? What today? Was, yeah, was it today or no? You were talking. Uh, oh, it was a Red Sox guy, I think, who was mm-hmm. talking about how he was. Yeah, it was a Red Sox guy saying he's like. He's up here, you know. I mean, anybody who's paying attention to the game is acknowledges what Mike Trout is. Anybody who's just, you know, a frustrated uh, fan is going to say you, know, you can say anything on Twitter and Facebook and social media because you're you're hidden behind the nobody nobody knows who you are. Yeah. I, well, I think with with Mike Trout, the real issue with him is that I think people see his batting average and it's. Around two ninety something now. Yeah, he's had a rough series, and they think, well, if he's his best player in baseball, why isn't he hitting three twenty three thirty? And you go look at his averages; he's never really been a three twenty three thirty hitter. He's around three hundred, three ten, three hundred six, something like that. My guess, and this is only a guess, and I have no actual evidence of this. A lot of where his average stands comes from how much the angels have had to rely on him what i mean by that is they need him power hitting there's a difference between power hitting and hitting for average they need him power hitting to produce so we've seen i think in the last two months i believe he's been pressing a he's trying to lift the ball more to get it out mm-hmm. when that happens course your batting average is going down you're, you're, you're focusing on different kind of hitting because you're trying to produce i think he's pressing and if you look at all up and down his career, they really haven't had many people who hit for average around him. 
and some folks. And they've had him hitting, and they've had him hitting in strange places too. That was another point you you made you made in the podcast about that is an issue with Osmus. You know the way you're switching. Yeah, how in what world is? And I'm just repeating what you said, but you didn't say it this way. But in what world does Cole Calhoun lead off? Uh, There aren't many roles to me where he leads off. I have to think that you're having him lead off because you feel like you have no better option. If you feel like you have no better option, then you have bigger problems. This is why I'm saying, while this offense is certainly capable of putting up massive amounts of runs, and we've seen that this year, they're also very flawed, and none of them hit for average. We're going to say, well, these next-gen stats, they don't really think about average as much as OPB and whatever, OPS, and okay, let me ask you this. We'll go back to this again. John, would you rather me hit... 300 with a 350 OP, OBB, or would you rather me hit 250 with a 400 OBB, OBP? I'd rather have you on base more. More opportunities to score. Okay. Are you sure about that? Well, you asked me, so now I'm not, but yeah, okay. I'm, still, I'm sticking with it. Alright. You're on base more. Who's hitting you in? Oh, we're talking about the Angels. <laughs> Good point. Uh, good point. Which is uh, they, they did move. They did move Trout down a little bit and, and gave. Uh, and the, the other thing was Otani was always way down there. But uh, I get. I see your point. You're saying, but then you're saying Trout does need to take it all on himself. Well, no. What I'm saying is this: hitting for average still matters because if you have a dude on first base and you get a single going into right field. That guy in first base with enough speed, where he, where's he going? So we're talking about Mike Trout. You're talking about Mike Trout or anybody. I'm just talking like baseball. I, I, I'm just talking I mean, baseball I, now. Well, I would rather have a guy with a higher OBP leading off, <laughs> like a David Fletcher. John, John lead just, off just play ball with me a little bit, okay? okay. Play ball with me. I'm going to play All ball. Right. Get my mid on. All right, okay. You have Cole Calhoun in the outfield, right? He's in right field. So yeah. Just envision right field right now. All right. He's, not, he's not actually out there, but envision a right fielder out there, okay? You have a guy on first base with good speed, and an angel hits a single into right field, deep enough to potentially move something. Where's that guy on first base probably going? Third. Okay. If that guy's on first base and that same hitter takes a walk, where's that guy going? Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, he's going to second. That's why hitting for average matters, because that movement of the baseball moves runners much more, much more efficiently than a walk does. A walk is valuable, but keeping the ball moving, giving guys a chance to score, get around the bases, you're going to get more of that every single time if you have decent hitters. Right now, if you look at that lineup tonight, what do our hitters look like? I'm sorry, what do our hitters look like? Overall, like the last week, what are they hitting? I got the, I got it right in front of me. Okay. Where are they not hitting? hitting much. Well, yeah. What do you They're mean, where much. do they hit? Yeah. What I'm what saying... Do mean, where do they hit? Average. What are their averages? Look at the, line, look at the lineup. Are you talking about for the season? Yeah. Tonight's starting lineup, what were their batting averages? I'm losing it. I had it in front of me. You are. You've lost me over Okay. Ready. All right. So look at, look at the stats, all right? Let's, the, the Angels' stats right now, individual stats, hitters, the guys who have played the max or close to the max of games, okay? You're talking about Fletcher, Calhoun, Trout, Pujols. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, those were just eligible. So, so Lestello was hitting 300. Trout's at 293, Otani's 291, Fletcher 284. Goodwin's not a regular. He plays a lot, but it's late in game. So then Simmons 
at 74 games, 274. Then you have this huge drop-off. This huge drop-off, Kevin Smith, 246. Renhefo, 243. Pujols, 239. Cole Calhoun, 236. The league average is around 240. At last I checked, those 240, 250, somewhere in there. Okay, that's where the league average is. But you have all these guys who are hitting nothing. Their OPBs aren't much better. I mean, he was 326. Pools 297. Calhoun 326. That's your that's his OPB. Derek, I've been sitting out in the outfield for years now looking at the scoreboard with numbers like this. It's one of the reasons I've never, you know, I've, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not a fan because his attitude inspires me uh, sometimes, uh, Calhoun. But, I mean, he's never hit for average. Well, I mean, no, I mean I'm, yeah, it's... That, I'm not... What I'm saying, I'm not trying to come down on anybody. What I'm saying is you have too many hitters who don't hit for average on the team. You have too many of them. You need to have... I agree. We don't have a, a, good, a solid lead, a, a leadoff hitter who hits by, uh, over 300. Well, we're missing LaStella. You miss Tommy because Tommy would be that guy who could kind of come in and do it. And, and you know what? David Fletcher's right there, 284. He's been a guy who's been pretty steady. A guy I agree. Who, Fletcher, okay. Yeah, Fletcher's solid. It's way, so what I'm really arguing is I think we have become we have fallen so in love with the with the next gen stats that we're forgetting some of the value in the original stuff the hitting for average because hitting for average does matter would I rather get a hit or would I rather get a walk I'd rather get a hit if I get a hit I have just as good a chance at getting to the next base and a chance to get into the base after that depending on where that ball goes. Well, but then what the Angels' problem is, is by, by your theory, if you are getting walks, and gosh knows, two Dodger World Series, I mean, I see it regularly. I mean, to this point, they walk the leadoff hitter. It's, it's, it's almost, it's like guaranteed that guy's going to go home. And that's part of the problem that the Angels' pitching staff has, is that, they, that they, they, they'll walk people. They'll use so many pitches, and you're the one who told me all this, so I'm not telling you anything new. They use up their pitch count so early in the game, um, so I mean there is value to to walking. But I, overall, I, I I agree. I mean, it's I, I thought you were giving me a trick question at the beginning because yeah, no, of course I, I want I want nine three I, I want nine three hundred hitters. Of course I do. Um, well, I mean, even if they were hitting two seventy five two eighty, it's it's different. And even in drawing a walk, you can get a four. Their Angels pitching has been so bad. The walks, or they're getting guys on base in four pitches, five pitches. You want guys who can work a count like they were early in the year, wear down these pitchers, and that's not happening right yeah. now. So if we're thinking right now that the Angels' problems will be solved if we fix the pitching staff, the answer is no, they won't. Because while the lineup is good, generally speaking, there are gaps in there that need to be addressed. And the Angels need to do it pretty quickly. There are guys coming up who I think will be fine. I know a lot of people give Matt Tice a lot of problems right now because he's not doing too well. I think people forget what Tim Salmon hit for in his rookie year. Anybody remember what Tim Salmon hit for in his rookie year? No, but I'll bet you do. Oh, I'll bet I do because I remember. 175. 175? Was it 175? You sure about that? No, no, I'm just. <laughs> memory serves me right. I think, I think it was 192, but I may be wrong. No, you're actually, you were closer. It was 177 in his first 20, 23 games. He had 177. Okay. 177 with 23 strikeouts, 11 walks in 23 games. A strikeout a game. So Tice is striking out more. His average is a little bit better. 
he is displaying more power than Tim Salmon did in his rookie year. Seriously, he's displaying more power. If you watch Matt Tice hit, you'll see he actually has a really good eye. So what's the problem? He's young. He's young and experienced. I mean, he's young. He's getting used. He's and, he sh- and he probably should be still. He should be. He should he be should down. Be up. He shouldn't be up here. Should but, be up. You know, and uh, you know, the biggest complaint, and, and this is something, again, that you were you reviewed earlier when I was listening to you, you know, about how Shohei Otani didn't get a spring. Uh, everybody's on Upton, which I understand. Upton makes a lot of money, and, and I'm, you know, I mean, I understand the complaints. But he didn't have a spring training. Um, I mean, we had a lot of, you know, Trout's been out. Um, uh, Simmons was out for how long? Um, and, of course, we lost we lost Listella. So, I mean, our opening day lineup, as you pointed out, you know, we've never had. We've never had our lineup, our opening day lineup on the field, correct? Correct. And that's to yeah. me. Um, that to me, that's mind blowing. That that line that was supposed to be there was never there. And also, I want to point this out because I don't think pe- many people really understand the turf toe injury. A turf toe injury is devastating to you as an athlete. It has ended careers. So Justin Upton comes back with this turf toe injury. If you think his toe when he came back was perfect. I've got beachfront property in Montana to sell you. He's only he's played forty games. He's basically a month and change into his season, and that injury is not something that heals right away. You can get out there, you can play, but you got to think a turf toe injury. What do you think you're planning on when you're pivoting? You got to use that foot. So I'm telling you flat out. If you, I'm a coach. I've had a lot of athletes. I can tell you that turf toe injury needs to be considered here before you hammer this guy. Now, if he comes out next year and is in the same boat, then all bets are off. But you probably should get a mulligan for this one. I'm just saying. At this point, anybody that needs a mulligan should be getting a mulligan because we ain't going in. Yeah, I mean, you don't just drop off. You don't. You, he's not that. He's, not, he's, he's still a young guy. Guy had 28 home runs. Uh, he had 30 for us the, for, uh, the first year with us. And now he's struggling I mean, even last year, people were were kind of attacking him. He hit two fifty seven, but he did have thirty home runs. Um, I, yeah, I don't. I know. mean, it, it just folks, come on, give him a break. That's all I'm saying. The I'm, I'm too- just I'm getting tired of people just complaining every day. I mean, I don't, again, I don't understand what they're expecting to change. Let's. Yeah. Well, John, Anyways. you gotta understand something here. Okay, this is an organization. That was one of the best organizations in baseball in the 2000s. This is an organization that where the fans loved Artie Moreno. They loved Mike Sosa, even though they gave Mike a hard time. This team was a winner. This is a team that when when McCourt owned the Dodgers, was starting to give the Dodgers a little bit of a run for their money. A little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of a run for the money when it comes to popularity. The expectations changed. This is no longer just the hapless Angels anymore. This is a team that should be taken seriously. They won a World Series. They, they won division titles. They, they made serious runs. And then all of a sudden, you have the best player in baseball, and you're not winning. You're not winning. You're going and, through this. But we have the be- I'm, And I'm not saying, you know, it needs to get better soon, sooner than later. But we have him for... Still yeah, over ten years. But you, so, you, I mean, it's not like it's not like do or die. And I mean, uh, the Dodgers have Cody Bellinger, and 
I mean, I you know, I, I guess I, again, I have one first one to say I, I'd be happy to lo- have lost two World Series because at least I know we were competitive, and I think that is better, even though it's more uh, shocking at the end, more heartbreaking at the end. Um, but there's a lot, a lot of players that are being quote wasted on teams out there. Well, um, John, here's the thing though, I, I I look at Mike Trout and he's 28. He's only going to be at the same level for a couple more years. They're going to get to about 31, 32, 33, and he's going to start to decline. And so I can understand why fans are upset, but twofold here. Mike Trout chose to stay. So when you say the Angels are wasting his talent, no, they're not. He chose to stay. He chose to buy their plan. He chose to believe in what they're doing. So if the guy who is the best player in the game chooses to trust this organization and where they're going, then maybe you need to step back a little bit and wait a little bit longer and see. And all I'm really saying is wait through this offseason. That's all I'm saying. I they agree because there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there in free agency, and we do have money. And, uh, and also a lot Mike of money Trout, available. Absolutely. And this is the year. And this is what it's been all. This is what all our – vision has been all about it's all going to come to fruition this next year and during this off season and if it doesn't well then i don't know then we're going to be then we're going to be hearing a lot a lot of trash talk yeah all right folks it's actually we still have the white Sox preview john and i we had connected the while and here you go we are almost to an hour a couple other quick notes that I wanted to point out, I'm going to save these topics for Sunday, but to kind of give you a preview of where we're going. Perlman, the writer of the Showtime Lakers book, the guy who wrote the book, a really good book on Walter Payton, he's been at numerous Angels fan Angels games, and he, uh, in a now-deleted tweet, basically trashed the Angels as a bad team, bad uniforms, bad stadium, bad food prices, all that stuff. And uh, kind of eventually what he chose to do was he deleted his tweet as he trashed the team. Um, I want to look at that a little bit. Is he coming Sunday on the night. show? No, no, no. I have a lot of feelings oh. about Jeff Perlman. And I guess I could invite him on. Uh, he probably wouldn't come on, but I guess I could invite him to, um, to, to ask him about his statements. And, yeah, you know what? I will. I will invite him on. I will invite him on. But we still have to make sure our other guests coming up next week are also taken care of. So, um, yeah. No, I mean, I, I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's fine. We have him on. I I saw his tweet. That was very. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I could take a picture like that many times during the regular season, especially late in the game. Um, that's I mean, well, just Angel on. fans. Your, your team is are, not very good, but they're also playing a team with a that's out of the race too. It's and it's in the middle of summer. This is standard anywhere you go if teams aren't contending. It's not like the Angels are alone in this process. Do the Angels deserve some criticism? I think so. But of course. They're not alone in this at all. The other thing that's kind of going hand in hand though is Bill Shaken's article that came out today in the Los Angeles Times. I'm gonna say this talk a little bit deeper on it for this weekend. And that is another option is coming out now for the Angels in terms of their stadium quests. What we're understanding is the, the there was a one-year lease extension that the council approved in January, but Moreno told said at the Anaheim City Council meeting this last Tuesday that the, that did not mean that the current lease would expire when the extension does. In other words, he's saying he could 
stay all the way through the current lease to 2029. And what Shaken is stating by that is that it would reduce, I'm going to quote him here, the last option effectively reduces the city's leverage since it cannot threaten to kick out the Angels after the 2020 season and sell the same property. Okay, so in other words, the Angels have the power here. They have the power here. It, more than the city does. There is um, What the city basically wants the Angels to do is develop a property around the site and use that money to build their new stadium or redo it. In, in the same spot, yeah. In the, to the revamp same spot. the stadium, yeah. Re, re, to um, renovate the stadium. And of course, the other option that is kind of fl- filtering around there is Long Beach. Which to me probably is. I think if you're the Angels, you want you you want to stay in Anaheim. You don't want to move around from there. We've seen results. The most obvious result is the Rams situation from years ago. Okay, so but we're going to look at the, into that more deeper this weekend. Here's our White Sox preview with Josh Nelson from the Sox Machine. Check it out. All right, folks, I'm here with Josh Nelson from the Sox Machine, which is a site that covers the Chicago White Sox. They also have a podcast. You can get that anywhere podcasts can be found. It's a weekly show covering the White Sox. How you doing, Josh? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, thanks for coming on. And you are getting the Angels at the right time. If you are pretty much any team in baseball, it doesn't matter if you are the Orioles right now, you're getting the Angels at the best time. There's no pitching. The, t- the team is slumping. What is the situation around the White Sox right now? Well, they just won a series against the Houston Astros. So that kind of helps the Angels. Uh, after they played terribly against Oakland uh, in the, the past weekend. And, you know, the White Sox are 54-65. and 65. They had a terrible 20-game stretch after the All-Star break where they went 4-16. and 16. So they were a frisky bunch in the first half of the season. Before the All-Star break, the White Sox were 42-44. and 44. And with all these young players at least covering the team daily, it was how long can they hover around 500? And can they maybe just find a way in the second half at some point of the season uh, to get back over 500? Because that would be a big deal, not just for the fans have been following this team, but also for the young players as well to start buying into the fact that, yes, we are a talented group and, yes, we can win. And I think for the White Sox, winning two out of three against Houston gives them a boost uh, as they headed to Anaheim. Uh, but the the thing about the White Sox in the second half, Derek, is that offensively you just don't know what you're going to get. Today against the Astros, they put up 13 runs. Uh, but previously, especially over the weekend in the three-game series against the Athletics, they only scored three runs total uh, in that series. Uh, so the offense has been wildly inconsistent. It's been the worst offense in the second half of the season in Major League Baseball. And I think that's the key factor for the White Sox heading to Anaheim is which offense is showing up. Well, it's advantageous to you that the Angels pitching is that bad. I, actually, as we talk, as we're recording right now, the Angels and Pirates are underway. It's top of the first. Bases are low with no outs. That's been our year, pretty much all year. And I guess the question I have for you is overall, what are the strengths of this White Sox lineup? Well, as far as the lineup itself, the dependable bats right now with Yoan Mikata looking like he's going to have a rehab stint with the Charlotte Knights, which is the White Sox AAA affiliate. So he's going to be on the way other side of the country uh, for this weekend is, of course, Jose Abreu, the veteran presence. 
who's still driving in runs, and even though the events, the advanced metrics are not kind to Jose Abreu, uh, he still finds a way to be one of the more dependable run producers for the White Sox. And Tim Anderson, Tim Anderson's having a terrific month of August after missing the month of July with a high ankle sprain. Right now, Anderson's hitting close to 400 in the month of August, and he's coming off another four-hit performance for this season in Wednesday's win over the Houston Astros. And if Abreu and Anderson can get it going, because Anderson has been hitting in front of Abreu, that gives the White Sox an opportunity. Because James McCann, even though he had an all-star first half, and he hit a grand slam on Wednesday to give the White Sox the win in the bottom of the eighth inning, uh, has been regressing a little bit. Eloy Jimenez has been going through the rookie growing pains at times, and it's we're starting to see him heat up a little bit, and that would be a good sign for the White Sox lineup because lately he's been batting in the lower third, either sixth or seventh in the White Sox lineup, and he's not been paired with Jose Abreu lately. But after, outside of those four hitters, there's really nobody that scares you, and this lineup is really missing Yohan Mikata because Mikata was having a terrific season on fan graphs. He's a four-war player. And you could just tell the White Sox are really missing his presence in the lineup. If Makata was around right now, I think it would help gel this lineup even more. And the White Sox would be more forceful on offense. Uh, but right now, for Angels fans, when looking at the lineup, uh, you're paying attention. You're paying the most attention to Anderson and Abreu, and also keeping an eye on McCann and Jimenez. What overall with this lineup keeps it in games, even when the pitching struggling? Well. The good news for the White Sox starters is that they have been pitching well. So that hasn't the pitching has been keeping the offense in games okay. longer, especially in the second half as of late. Um, but the White Sox do find themselves to get big innings, and the White Sox are definitely a late-game offense. They're one of the top-run producers in Major League Baseball after the seventh inning. I don't know why that's the case. They seem to struggle to get off to a hot start against a starting pitcher, but that third time they face a starter with a T-top coming into play, the White Sox offense starts to get going. And again, it's not a consistent bunch. Rick Renteria, the manager of the White Sox, calls for way too many bunts for my liking. One thing to look for is that if there's a runner on third with one out, or I should say fewer than one out, uh, the White Sox will lay down the squeeze bunt. I'm just telling Angel fans right now, you will see it a mile away, and you'll be like, hey, I heard this White Sox podcaster say they always lay down the squeeze in this situation. And I will tell you it's 50-50 chance that a bunt is most definitely coming even though you may think well it's the second inning no they will try to lay it down because reasons i'm not sure why rick renteria always goes to the bunt he has more confidence in his hitters putting down the bunt in a squeeze situation than hitting a sacrifice fly uh so offensively again it's it's just wildly wildly inconsistent right now derek so when things are going well just like any offense they're hitting for some power they're hitting some home runs when they're not doing well they're just managing to hit singles because this team has the worst walk rate in Major League Baseball, it has one of the worst strikeout rates as well. So the Angels are facing, again, a pretty poor offense at the moment. Well, the pitching matchups going in Game 1, Andrew Heaney, Marcus, Ronaldo, Lopez, a 7-9, ERA, unless that changes. What can you tell us about Lopez? Lopez has been completely different in the second half. Lopez was one of the worst starting pitchers ERA-wise in the first half. 
since in the second half his ERA is in the twos. And what he, the adjustments that he has been making is with the fastball command, it is critical for him to be able to locate that pitch. And he seems to made an adjustment with his hips during his throwing motion to have better control of his fastball. And lately he has been throwing it harder. He was averaging around 96 miles per hour. Now we're seeing on Baseball Savant and StatCast that he's hitting 97 and a half and he's been touching 99 miles per hour during games. And he's also been throwing his changeup more often and he's been pairing it with a slider. He used to be a true four-pitch pitcher or at least tried to be where he would try to also throw a curveball in the mix, but he has simplified his, his pitch mix. So you're just going to see fastball, which is a four-seamer, changeup, and slider from Lopez. And he's just been w- much different than he was in the first half. He's been more focused during his starts. I know he's got a 5.16 ERA, and Angels fans may want to get pumped up thinking that, okay, this could be an easy game. Uh, you may be mistaken because, again, just looking it up, he has a 2.13 ERA after seven starts in the second half. Again, he's been a much different pitcher for the White Sox, uh, especially in the second half than in the first half. Now, Lucas Giolito, 12-6, ERA, having a nice year. Can you tell us about him? Yeah, most improved player in my book in Major League Baseball. He was terrible last year for the White Sox. He led the league with the worst ERA. He had one of the worst walk rates in all of Major League Baseball. He changed his throwing motion during the offseason. He used to have a long arm throwing motion, and you'll probably hear this during the broadcast for the Angels' side. He's shorn that motion up quite a bit, uh, in which he has cut his arm length in half, where he keeps his elbow pointed, and he kind of short arms it when he's going back in the windup. What has that allowed him to do? Well, one, he's got better control and command of his stuff, but last year his fastball was sitting between 91 to 93 miles per hour. Now it's 96 to 97 miles per hour. And what he does with his location of his fastball is aim for up in the strike zone because he wants to throw his changeup. His changeup has become his best pitch. And he's willing to go back and forth between the four-seamer up in the strike zone and the changeup. And you will see a lot of swing and misses from angel hitters if they're not going to sit back and wait for the changeup. And I think, again, he's the most improved player in my book in all of Major League Baseball. It's such a transformation. And I think he's got another level to hit. He needs to be able to develop his slider, which is going to be the third pitch. When you watch this start on Friday, he is going to be very heavy fastball changeup. And that will be effective for him as he struck out 13 batters against Houston in his last start. But again, keep in mind as far as the slider, because if he can locate the slider, it will be a very, very tough night for the Angels facing Lucas Giolito. Now, the third game, Hector Santiago, 1-1, 7.11 ERA. I'm guessing he's been added to the rotation later in the year here. What's going on with him? I, he is the Swiss Army knife. He's just a spot starter. This is the start that Angels fans should get pumped up for because they should be able to score some runs on Saturday against Hector Santiago. Uh, he doesn't fool you. It's a mid-90s fastball paired with the changeup. He's been around for a really long time. Actually, I think Santiago, didn't he pitch for the Angels not that long ago? You know what? Off the top of my head, we've had so many people come through here in the last two years. I can't even remember. I mean, I'd like to tell you and act like the total professional here, but if we can actually have an angel discussion, you'll find out why. I'm just like, uh, you know, 
All right, I think he did. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I, I'm pretty sure he up. did too. I'm serious. <laughs> I mean, he, he's played for he's played for a lot of teams uh, over the years. But yeah, there's this is his third stint with the White Sox. He just recently called up from AAA. Again, it, it hasn't been that impressive. Uh, he's been very hittable. Uh, yes, uh, Santiago pitched for the Angels in 2014 and 2015. Uh, in 2015, he had a 3.59 ERA and 32 starts, so that was pretty good uh, for Santiago. I did not know that he pitched that well for the Angels uh, back then. But yeah, uh, again, he's just a shell of his former self, and he's just in there to last as long as possible. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised even on Sunday, maybe Ross Detweiler uh, or even um, maybe even Dylan Cease. That would be kind of a joy for Angels fans to see one of the top rookies in the White Sox rebuild uh, is Dylan Cease. As uh, Cease uh, held his own against the Astros on Tuesday, uh, where he did walk five, but he held him to just two earned runs. And uh, he, he's been fun because he has one of the best uh, as far as breaks with his curveball and mm-hmm. his drop rate and spin rates and all of Major League Baseball. Uh, so as far as pitching-wise, I mean, for the White Sox perspective, really pay attention to Lopez and Giolito. Those have been the two strongest starters for the White Sox in the second half. Uh, Santiago is not much, and maybe we'll see Cease on Sunday. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the listings now, and Cease is scheduled for Sunday. He is going up against Griffin Canning. That's our top pitching prospect right now. See, that's a, that would be a very fun game to watch. Canning against Cease. Uh, yeah, that that's going to be a fun one to to track as far as both of them. Again, Cease is sitting ninety seven, ninety eight with his fastball. It could be wild at times. He really needs to work on his command, and the curveball is a very good pitch. It's a, definitely a plus pitch. But that would be fun to see the rookies on the mound on Sunday. Well, Canning's just coming off injury. His elbow was inflamed. There was concerns about his UCL. So we're kind of watching him a little bit. He, he didn't pitch very well last night at all. He started to come around late, and then they pulled him. So we'll see how he is. Overall, though, I'm looking at the series and thinking it's not looking good for the Halos, just where they are. But it hasn't looking good since, I'd say, the Baltimore series. Actually, it's really since they swept the Dodgers. And now here they are, a total train wreck. But you guys, you've mentioned it. And I've been watching this part of the White Sox very closely. There's been a little buzz throughout the league for the past year or so about what's happening there with the White Sox and how close they're starting to get to really being a player again in the playoff race. What can you tell us about the White Sox and where they're going as an organization? Well, as far as with the rebuild itself, they have built, I think, a very strong core. I know Jimenez is having a down rookie year. But you can see where he can be one of the top hitters in all of Major League Baseball. And when you pair him with, with Yohan McCart and Lucas Giulio having their breakout years and Tim Anderson being a two-plus war shortstop and you know Ronaldo Lopez turning around the second half and Dylan Cease getting his feet wet, knowing that Michael Kopech is going to return from Tommy John surgery and be strong and healthy, it sounds like his rehab is going very well in 2020. Nick Madrigal, the 2018 first-round pick out of Oregon State, could be in the mix to start at second base for the White Sox and one of the top prospects in all of Major League Baseball and Luis Robert. Luis Robert is truly a five-tool player in which he does everything well defensively. He's got tremendous speed and he has really showcased some power because before this season he never hit a home run in the United States. Uh, He had zero home runs through his visits in the minors and we were wondering if this hitter, uh, this top prospect had 40 grade power and what he has demonstrated in high A, double A, and triple A uh, is that no, he does have 
60 power uh, capabilities, or at least a ceiling-wise, uh, he may be someone that could surprise you and hit 25 home runs. I've heard player comps from Luis uh, Brinson, who's with Miami right now, and I've heard some scouts say if it clicks for Robert, he could be like Ronald Acuna. So that is the positive side as far as the White Sox and the rebuild. Uh, the negative is this is a front office that has never given out a $100 million contract, and they have been I don't want to use the word cheap, but they have really skipped out as far as trying to go after the premium free agents. And we are wondering if that is going to come back and hurt them because missing out on Manny Machado is still a sore spot for those that still watch the Chicago White Sox on a daily basis and watching him sign with another rebuilding team in the San Diego Padres uh, is even a bigger head scratcher And how come the White Sox couldn't get something done. So for the White Sox, their rebuild, they have built a strong core but again this is on the onus of the front office can they get the job done can they bring in a couple of premium players in free agency or in trade that can help supplement this new core that they have built and they could take the next step to go from rebuilder to contender and i'm looking forward to seeing this team really make some moves you guys have some great young players and you guys are actually a lot of fun to watch well, I hope they are fun this weekend to watch. Uh, but thank you so much for having me on your show. And yeah, it should be a pretty entertaining series. I mean, anytime you, your team gets an opportunity to play Mike Trout, uh, it is always must-watch baseball. It is. So, Josh, real quick, can you tell people where they can find you on social media, all of your work, like your Twitter, your podcast, everything? Sure, you can... Read our stuff and listen to our stuff at SoxMachine.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at SoxMachine. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at SoxMachine underscore Josh. Awesome. Thanks again so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I hope we'll talk to you again on the return trip. All right, folks, there he goes, a preview. I would encourage you to go out this weekend to see the Angels and the White Sox play. It's throwback weekend, so the uniforms are going to be really nifty. Take some pictures. I think the both the White Sox and the Angels have two of the coolest, totally coolest throwback uniforms. Another reason to go out and see the series this weekend is the Sox are going to be good very soon. If you say their farm system, they are growing, they are developing. They are, to me, if they're willing to spend some money, and that's something that Josh mentioned in that interview, I think they are eventually going to surpass the Indians over there in the Central. I'm serious. They have a lot of talent, a lot of real, real homegrown talent in there that could be top level. So watch out for the White Sox. This will be your chance to get out there and get some autographs to these young kids now, see a future. And if those of us who believe the Angels are getting close to contending, and I, I think it's hard to see now. It really is, especially with some of the gaps in the farm system. Uh, but I think these are close as well. So this could be a preview of some bigger years to come. So check it out. Go out there. Put some money in Artie's pocket. I know you don't want to. And watch a really interesting series with a lot of young and up-and-coming players. I'll be there. I'll be there Friday and Saturday. Friday, I'm not paying for my tickets. A buddy of mine from high school that I've known since high school uh, invited me to go. And Saturday, we already have tickets for the game. Uh, So that's going to be my wife and I. Uh, Last time my wife and I went to a game, we left the game after one uh, one o'clock in the morning. So hoping that doesn't happen because I want to see fireworks on Saturday night. Literally, literally. Literally. I want to see fireworks on the field. And then I want to see fireworks after the game. Okay. So my plan tonight was for a short podcast. Uh, it was I know it didn't work. Me, I, I moved around out. some guests, some guests because I wanted to make sure they got their full time. 
And in the end, we want to do one anyways because I, I guess that's what happens when old friends finally link up after a couple weeks because somebody was on a cruise. There you go. So meet us this Sunday where these two old friends get back together to talk about the White Sox series. We'll get more into the stadium situation. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Talking Halos. You can search for our page on Facebook. We have a group there now, the Talking Halos group. Go in there and check it out. We, I, I can tell you flat out, John is kind of like a, becoming a social media addict, and you can sit there and talk baseball with him. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo, and I have not said this forever. You can find John Crane on Twitter at Jake's Crane John. I can't believe it. I can't believe he's back. So don't forget, it's on Spreaker, <laughs> Apple Music, all those wonderful places. Take it easy, guys. Spotify. Spot- I, I said them all. I said all those places. Uh, sorry, Spotify. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome back, John. Okay. okay. So for John and the entire team here, it's Derek C. Paul saying, have a great one. We'll see you Sunday. Good night. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.